I know, don't mind me. I don't even know why I was singing that. Na 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 na. Welcome to Ants, Humans, and Stars. I'm Digo, a digital freaking nomad, and I'm here today with very special co-host and the same co-host in every single episode. Every episode. Caleb. What's going on, guys? I am an artist still with stories to tell. Still telling stories. That's still what we do. That's, yeah, that's what life is all about. Uh, I do true crime. Caleb does music history. Mm-hmm. And I think you should go first this, this time. Cool. So, you want me to, like, okay, just start or, like, tell? <laughs> do you want me to tell you guys what we're talking about? Go! No. Go. I also forgot to, to, like, announce, like, what we're covering. So, to, to, <laughs> just go first. Go. Just start. I'll just my, start. Start. I'll Run. get my popcorn. <laughs> Run! What are we running from? Just run! <laughs> just, just run. <laughs> um, I, I'm gonna do. Um, I recently flew back from Costa Rica, and yes, Digo's here, guys. He's. I'm here in Virginia. Here. Mm-hmm. We're breathing here. the same air, kind of. Yep, <laughs> that's right. With a bunch of cicadas in the way. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, they're everywhere. I heard them for the first time. Like. It literally sounds like, like you know that part in X Men Two where like mm-hmm. the professor focuses on all the mutants mm-hmm. and it's like that's exactly what they sound like. Exactly what it is. It was so loud. I had trouble hearing the podcast I was listening to. Like in some some areas, like they're mm-hmm. so like packed in a tree that it's just <laughs> the sound. Well, I can't lie. It took me a minute, like literally a minute, because I was like, "What is that? Like, is that a fire truck in the distance or like what?" <laughs> And then it just hit me like, <laughs> no, it's just a oh, bunch no, of sex. That's them. Exactly. Just a bunch <laughs> exactly. of sex. Like, just, yeah. I was just like, oh, yeah, that's that's them just making all mm. that noise. Just a bunch of mm-hmm. grinder profiles going. <laughs> I can't. I can't. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, anyways, I was, I was flying back to from Costa Rica back to the States. I flew yes. over Florida and for the first time, or I don't know. I noticed for the first time the Florida Everglades, and I just didn't realize it was that huge. It's just so massive of a freaking, and mm-hmm. it's all it is is just this flat uh, uh, marsh. You know, it's just flat and it's just endless. And I'm like, really? That's what the Florida Everglades are? I thought it was like a little park. Like, at the mm-hmm. no, 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 no. It's this whole thing. Anyways, so I was so interested. I want to see it now. Uh, that I decided to talk about it. So that's what I'm going to cover: Florida Everglades. Sweet. And today I'm going to talk about before Katy Perry, Taylor Swift, Pink, and a host of other female pop stars of the last several decades, there was Cindy Lauper, a colorful, spunky, charming, one of a kind singer and musician who burst onto the scene in 1983 and left a mark that has stood the test of time. And speaking of time, we're going to talk about her first number one hit on the Billboard Hot 100, the heartbreakingly beautiful and catchy tune, Time After Time. Time after time, I'm not a murderer. I don't take heads. Digo <laughs> thought that Cindy Lauper was a murderer. I don't even know where to go with that or what to say about that, but just now y'all. Know. I, should, I thought she was lopping people's heads off. I, I can't. <laughs> I can't. All right, you ready? Ready, steady go so first i just want to um be transparent and vulnerable and say that so 
whenever I do these music history things and I record them for all you amazing listeners out there, I like write everything down and I put it together and then I go over it. Well, I have not gone over this. So everything's written. (laughs) Nice. Nice. I'm going to try and make this seem as smooth. Do this on a live show. Exactly. I swear. Do this on a live show. (laughs) (laughs) We try and make this as smooth as possible. So, all right, here it goes. So I love Cindy Lauper like for forever i don't really remember exactly the first time i heard time after time do you remember like the first time you heard that song do you have With a memory the majority like- of songs like that mm-hmm. i definitely heard it on 97.1 wash fm radio station to and from school with my mom mm. okay okay see i i honestly don't like it's weird i almost feel like i just always knew about it like i don't remember at all the time or the place i just always knew oh yeah time after time this is a beautiful song it's by cindy mm-hmm. lopper so uh a little background on cindy she was originally in a band called blue angels they released an album in 1980 but didn't sell at all um they eventually yeah it just it didn't it went nowhere um and they eventually broke up in 1982 um and so after getting signed to a new label with the help of her former manager and boyfriend she was introduced to the producer Rick Chertoff, Chertoff, who is said to have been a Clive Davis protege. Um, uh, one thing that's why inter- Clive Davis just <laughs> always popping. I know, no, 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 no. That's what I was gonna say. That within doing this, there's there's little people and pieces, and I'm like, it's so funny how like I think we cover. I, I think I we cover a wide array of genres and artists, and it's just interesting how like randomly it'll connect with like oh someone was there during the recording or some producer Clyde Davis came by dropped off some fried chicken you know it was exactly. just like how somehow Clive yeah. was involved yeah exactly <laughs> Clive oh Clive <laughs> um so Rick introduced Cindy to this guy Rob Hyman who was in this band called the Hooters um and the two of them just hit it off immediately and so they spent the next eight months creating recording Cindy's first solo record um and during this time they were they did all they recorded all her soon-to-be hits like girls just want to have fun she bop all through the night which all through the night i think my it's probably my second favorite cindy lopper song i I, you'll have to hear it as soon as you hear it's like okay i'm doing a terrible (laughs) i can't think of the song right now but when you hear it you'll be like oh i know because i that was that was I was late to that song. I knew all about girls just want to have fun and she bop and all this stuff. But I remember I heard all through the night, literally probably like three, four years ago for the first time, and I was just blown away. Anyways, they recorded all this, and by the end of uh, excuse me, by June of 1983, they felt they were confident and they were like, "Hey, we've got this in the bag. We're finished with the album." Took everything to Rick, and Rick says. Like, no, you guys need to record one more album. And I read that apparently that was a thing that he would do with artists. Say, like, hey, I think you should, you need to just, you need to record one more song. Um, And, you know, however you feel about that is how you feel. Um, In this particular case, it it worked out pretty well. Um, Honestly, I felt a bit of dread. I didn't have a song kicking around and we were exhausted after being in the studio for months. The next night, Cindy and I went into the larger studio that had a Steinway concert grant. This is Robert Hyman speaking. 
And so I found this article um, from the uh, Wall Street Journal where they were interviewed in, I think, 2015, uh, Robert Hyman and Cindy Lauper. So I'm going to they explain like every detail of the song. So I'm literally just going to go back and forth. It's them talking about the song. So mm-hmm. um, should I should I should I do a Cindy Lauper accent? I wanted to write a song some of the songs for the album <laughs> okay i'm not gonna do I don't it know but if that's good not, or not i have no idea what she, she sounds has like this, when she's like, talking she has this like new york my voice is kind of high accent and <laughs> <laughs> that's that's kind of how she talks um but you she sounded so, like a you sounded like a black gay drag queen in new york that first <laughs> i can't i can't so Cindy says, uh, Cindy said, I wanted to write some of the songs for the album. I used to write songs for Blue Angels with the keyboard player, but Rick wanted me to focus on singing. I was so happy when Rob wanted to write together. We started putting together a list of song titles. I thumbed through a TV guide magazine. One movie title seemed good, a sci-fi film called Time After Time from 1979. I never meant for it to be the song's real title. It was just supposed to get me thinking. Then Hyman says, uh, at the piano, I had this repetitive and melodic idea and started playing the four chords. It became the chorus you hear on the record, but it was faster with a bouncy, upbeat reggae vibe. Cindy and I sang time after time as a placeholder. And Cindy says, Rob had just the chorus, a good melody, but no words. As I danced to what Rob played, I started thinking about up and down, lost and found. If you fall, I will catch you. I will be waiting time after time. If, you lo- if you're if you lost, you can look and you will find me time after time. It sounded odd at first, but when I sang it, I realized what I was talking about. There were pieces of my personal life. Hyman goes on to say, as Cindy sang, she and I realized the song was darker, more intense than a bouncy, happy song. When we slowed it down, the song became heartbreaking. There was suddenly so much emotion in the song. I was going through some relationship issues and Cindy had similar experiences. So we both felt it. Even though we slowed down the song, the chorus retained a clipped calypso type melody, which worked perfectly. Cindy says, in the days that followed, the verse, the first verse I wrote was uh, lying in my bed. I hear the clock tick and think of you. That was about my life. I had a clock that I got for my birthday that I kept on my loft bed in my one bedroom walk up apartment on 77th Street uh, near York Avenue. Dave Wolf, my boyfriend and manager at the time, had climbed up to sleep and the clock fell and smashed. I loved that clock. Dave went and got a wind-up clock from his mother's house, but when we set it up, it was so loud. I climbed down and put it in the tub and closed the curtain, but I could still hear it ticking from the bed. I remember lying there and thinking about all this personal stuff I had gone through. The second verse, uh, then you say go slow, I fall behind, the second hand unwinds, was inspired by Rick. At some point in the studio, his watch came in contact with something and it became demagnetized. Its second hand was going backwards and he was saying, look, look, my second hand is unwinding. I love that line. I didn't know that was possible. What? I mean, I guess that makes sense. If, yeah, I guess... I know, it's you like can it just like demagnetize it. your watch and then it starts going backwards and yeah if it, i guess if it throws off yeah that magnetization is gonna maybe magnetization is that a word <laughs> i don't know 
that is a word magnetization is it the magnetization of something that's a word we're going to make it, it a word today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confirm that it is. I don't know why I, I judged it now that I'm listening and hearing and reading the word Y'all now. I'm like, why did me. I even question that? Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> All right. So they had two verses in a chorus done. Um, but And they actually came up with the last verse over the phone. Cindy says, Rob called in the verse I came up with. After my picture fades and darkness has turned to gray, watching through windows was about my past relationships. I used to sit up on that loft bed and look out the window and watch darkness turn to gray, thinking about them. Um, So over a quick two week period, the love song was written and recorded uh, shortly before the album was um, the full album, shortly before the full album was completely mixed and mastered. Um, And there wasn't even a demo for um, for that song. They had been so particular with the other songs. I I read that um, they took a lot of time just perfecting it uh rob had actually said that cindy was very particular like she knew what she wanted um so they took their time to make sure they got it right um whereas this song was like they had to have a quick turnaround um he says himself we'd agonize over the album's other song and recorded multiple demos trying this and that this song had to happen much faster um cindy says my repeating time after time as a fading whisper at the end just happened i had fallen into a trance and came out of it like that singing softly i wanted it to sound hushed like my voice was trailing off into the distance uh rob hyman says the craziest thing was when i overdubbed a harmony as cindy sang the melody line in the chorus i added my voice just as a reference for another singer, a male-female dialogue thing, as if they're singing to each other. When Cindy listened back, she liked it and said, we're keeping it. Mm. If you listen carefully, you'll hear that the song has no bass until each chorus. Um, The song had to lift off there, so I added a synth bass. But just as we were wrapping up, I sensed uh, someone behind me. When I turned around, there was Roberta Flack. She was probably recording at the record plant. She said, wow, that's cool. That sounds great, guys. And then she was gone. Um, again, how these pieces, we Roberta Flack on the Killing Me Softly episode. Are you, are you guys connecting the dots? Okay. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But Roberta Flack was not the only one who loved this on the studio, was like head over heels for it. And they actually wanted it to be the first single from the album but cindy objected because she didn't want to be pigeonholed as a ballad singer um and she made the right call um so they put out girls just want to have fun and it was boom huge um and then they put out time after time as a second single and it followed that success and just became a worldwide hit um it was released um excuse me it was released on april uh n whoa Okay. Skrrr. <laughs> Let's try this again. <laughs> Do you want to leave and come back? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> the, 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 the vinyl scratch it. <laughs> um, the song was released in April 1984. It reached the top 10 in 15 countries. And on June 9th, 1984, it made its way to number one on the Billboard Hot 100, where it stayed for two consecutive weeks and eventually spent a total of 20 weeks on the chart. The song uh, also received a Grammy nomination for Song of the Year in 1985. So it it got rave reviews from everybody. Slant Magazine called it, quote, the album's finest moment, if not Lauper's greatest moment, period. Um, Tom Brian of Stereo Gum 
says time after time is an intimate song and it doesn't have the same kind of forward momentum as many of Lopper's other hits, but time after time has scope. That hook has a way of getting inside you. I totally agree with that. Um, so yeah, the song was huge. The album, her album, She's So Unusual was huge. Um, and over the years it's been covered by everyone from Pink to Leona Lewis. Um, Cindy also sang a duet of the song with Patti LaBelle in 1985. Like Patti LaBelle had this special um, and they sang that song together and it's amazing. Like anybody who knows Patti LaBelle, Patti LaBelle is a screamer. Um, yep. She is, yeah, like nobody's, nobody's out doing her. But Cindy Lauper held her own with Patti LaBelle and it was absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, they also did it. They performed it again as a duet in 2004. Um, but a standout cover um, and really one of the most popular was done by the late, great jazz trumpeteer, legendary Miles Davis. Um, oh, and actually, it, it was it was. It was that or, or Louis Armstrong. I was like, he would be dead by then. But anyways, yeah. but yeah yeah, 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 Miles Davis. And funny enough, I, this was maybe a month and a half, two months ago, I was uh, playing at one of the cancer centers and I played this song and the patient I was singing to was like, have you heard her? Have you heard Miles Davis do that? And I was like, no, I haven't. I came home and I watched it. And yeah, it's incredible. Um, Apparently he did it like over nine. He did it over nine times. Like he, pl- it became a staple in his live shows. Um, even his, he played at his last show, which was in 1991 before his death. Um, and apparently none of the, uh, none of the versions are less than eight minutes. <laughs> um, which I mean, the one I watched was like eight minutes, but it it's, it's beautiful. Um, so cindy says one day in 1984 a guy named joe at columbia pulled me over when i was uh pulled me over when i was visiting rick he told me miles davis had recorded time after time on an upcoming album Uh, joe played it for me and i thought oh wow that's really nice sometime later i ran into cicely tyson who had been married to miles in the 1980s she told me how she loves she's so unusual and how she insisted Miles listen to Time After Time. She played it for him and he loved it too. Which I think that's so awesome that Cicely Tyson loved She's So Unusual. Because if you know anything about Cicely Tyson, like Cicely Tyson is like the epitome of just like class and grace. But down to earth, not like I'm above you. But she's just like, yeah, the woman is just like wisdom personified um and so i think that's just so cool that she was loving this in the law song and um, i didn't know that was her name that act like so i just looked it up and like put the face to the name and i was like mm-hmm. oh yes yeah. it's, it's uh funny you mentioned uh what's that actress she's got uh, who wants to uh, get away with murder uh how viola to get away davis. with murder viola davis that uh, that was her mom Sis- that was her mom in the show. play yeah 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 yeah, yeah. mom in the show um so Cindy goes on to say, Miles' version was a big inspiration. I had co-written a song and this great jazz artist loved it. It was a nod, you know, that I could write beautiful songs. His recording said to me, go ahead and just do it. So Time After Time is quite simply a timeless record. And I'm sure that it will echo through the universe until the end of time. And that's it, guys. That is that is the story behind um 
that song i always think it's so interesting whenever i do uh when i research whatever song that i pick and uh, it's always interesting how so many songs like it wasn't this big planning going into it it was like you uh, said that you were like oh this was like a rush song and it's not the first time you've mentioned yeah that to a yeah. track it's like oh and this was like the afterthought or, or like mm-hmm. just yeah and it's like the track <laughs> yeah yeah i mean that was kind of how it was with everybody wants to rule the world like they thought mm-hmm. they were like done and then they're like oh we have this track and they didn't think anything of it and mm-hmm. that becomes their biggest hit and um i mean even in a even in a sense of what's going on like that was not only was the song kind of like okay let's do this song um we we like it we hope it's big but then they had to hurry up and do the album so it just i just find it interesting that yeah a lot of these big songs there wasn't this whole like oh we worked on it for a year and we planned this out it was like no we just did it we had to do it there's something to be said about producing your art and once it's produced to let it go Mm mm-hmm and not not sitting with it and yeah. editing it and edit and keep and adding and perfecting because there's no perfection mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. and um you never know what's going to be well received or not and yeah. um i don't know really it, and 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 that's so y- you did um queen and um bohemian rhapsody and that was something that he worked on for yeah, a while and exactly. really narrowed it so there are two there's examples on, yeah, on both yeah, sides on of, both sides yeah. but um but yeah you know it's like perfection you may never get there and it may not even be necessary <laughs> exactly that's it yeah like or 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 i mean really like we all have that's the thing we all have our version of perfection because to me i'm like oh the song's perfect you didn't need to take out anything you didn't add anything like all the lyrics are good like so yeah maybe they as the artists i mean i've never i didn't see anything in my research that's made it seem like cindy is like oh i wanted to spend more time on it but uh as you and I both know, as artists and creators, um, yeah, we have our own uh, 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 idea of perfection. Um, but yeah, to someone else, it's like, no, this is this is perfect. What are you talking about? It doesn't need anything else. So, also, uh, there's just like, um, so for me, like sometimes I'm producing graphics and I'm just it's not hitting it right like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm working a lot on it and, and it's just not not and then sometimes it's like i know exactly what to do and it's yeah. it's because i'm not a media producing machine mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. to me to produce the art is is a lot it's a feelings it's mind it's experimental and whatever and um your stage in your life so yeah uh it's it's never going to be the same and it's never going to be perfect uh i was gonna say, oh um this song came out in the year of my birth so maybe i did ah. hear it early on <laughs> yeah, he heard it in the womb because like, it was popular mm. and i'm sure the radio was on somewhere while yeah, i was yeah. just alive uh <laughs> i didn't i didn't i never so you were born in 84 that's right that was a great year like that was an amazing I know, year it was for the music. best year to be honest that was that was sydney lauper that was tina turner that was prince that was like the tail end of thriller that was like 1984 was huge huge year 
That's awesome. And then I was like, scoop, scoop. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, it's it's specifically the sound that like you said thriller. The opening, the the door opening and thriller sound. That was me coming out. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. So again, I mentioned that I wanted to get into Florida Everglades because I f- recently flew over it and I was just amazed at how big it was and and really just like, wow, how can so much land just be not and you know, quote unquote, not you like just open nothing, no buildings, no roads, nothing. It's just and as a typical human, uh, the first thing I think of was like, why isn't that being constructed? <laughs> Not really like it Terrible. needs to be, but 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 I did think like, mm-hmm. you know, why mm-hmm. is there no construction there? Mm-hmm. There's great reasons, <laughs> um, and I'm going to get into it. So <clears throat> today's presentation of the Florida Everglades is brought to you by the National Park Service, National Geographic, SunSentinel.com, AllThat'sInteresting.com, and Wikipedia. A couple, Jillian and her partner, Michael, were sitting on the porch of Jillian's apartment in Lake Worth Beach, Florida, when they noticed a strange animal slinking along the fence. It looked a bit like a raccoon, but its color was too mustard. More like a big cat, but its tail flexed and gripped with remarkable dexterity. A Google search suggested the mysterious beast might be some type of primate, maybe a lemur. Whatever it was, it was cute, with big, imploring eyes and rounded ears of a teddy bear, and it seemed friendly. The internet says lemurs eat fruit, so Michael set out some watermelon. As the sun dipped into the gulf on that muggy summer evening in 2019, the couple watched the maybe it's a lemur, grasped the melon <laughs> chunks with its clawed uh, forepaws and saw it nibble away. The next morning, Jillian woke to screams. Sprinting out of bed, she discovered Michael and the little animal battling <laughs> uh, in the kitchen. What had happened was <laughs> uh, Michael had gotten up early to go to work, and when he opened the front door, surprise to find, Critter was still there, waiting on the step, being all cute and shit. Uh, <laughs> and then it just bum-rushed him. Michael tried to shoo his assailant, but it latched onto his leg, biting him, slashing his calf. He grabbed a frying pan. Michael swatted the animal into the bathroom. Jillian called 911. Uh, sheriff's deputies arrived quickly, but they were outmatched. <laughs> they didn't pull out their guns and shoot at the death. Uh, they could only peek around the door and watch as the animal ripped up the shower curtain. Mm. Finally, a team of animal control officers and officials from the state wildlife agency managed to corner the creature. It wasn't a lemur, but a kinkajou a carnivorous mammal native to the South American rainforest. Um, I Googled it, and though the kinkajou does eat fruit, uh, kinkajous have sharp teeth and fangs. So like tiger fangs, Mm -hmm. where it's got fangs at the top and the bottom. And not obviously not that long, but you wouldn't want the kinkajou biting you or scratching you because it's also got sharp claws. 
So it, it's not a cute little monkey you want to play with. Mm-hmm. Jillian drove Michael, who was bleeding, to urgent care center for bandages and antibiotics. The kinkajou was taken to a state facility and later adopted out to a Floridian with proper experience with exotic pets. Accounts of such odd creatures running amok in Florida have become commonplace. And in an editorial in 2019, the Orlando Sentinel dubbed the Sunshine State as the Jurassic Park of exotic species. Mm. (laughs) That spring, for example, near West Palm Beach, thousands of poisonous cane toads introduced to Florida years ago from South America to control agricultural pests on sugar sugar cane plantations they emerged from the city's gutters and canals taking over an entire neighborhood wow a few months later near orlando a 200 pound feral hog a descendant of pigs brought to the peninsula by spanish conquistador hernando de soto p.s hernando died on your birthday in 1542 (laughs) well all right all right at the ripe old age of 46, mm. um, <laughs> Hernando is best known for leading the first European expedition deep into the territory of modern-day Florida, Georgia, Alabama, and Mississippi. Anywho, uh, the 200-pound feral hog chased two girls at a bus stop before mauling a man attempting to catch it. And not long after, scientists announced that hundreds of rhesus monkeys living in a public park kin to a colony of monkeys imported in the 1930s for a jungle boat attraction had begun spreading across the state. The monkeys are famous for flinging their feces at humans, feces that contain communicable forms of herpes. Mm. Now that is a horror show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck that. So, according to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Florida is home to more non native plants and animals than any other part of the country. This set of intruders now includes hissing ducks, walking catfish, hermaphroditic river eels, blood sucking worms, pet eating monitor lizards, dog sized rodents, gigantic snakes, and a rodent sized African land snails, some of which are mm. smuggled for religious rituals. Everything that I just mentioned right there, I don't want to ever meet. Right? <laughs> I don't know I'm what just any, like, wow. Dog-sized rodents? That, that dog-sized snail? What did, that's what I'm... What did you say? Rodent a rodent-sized snail? Rodent-sized snail. So there's like a dog-sized rodent and then, yeah, a, and then rodent a rodent-sized size snail. snail. Like, Ooh. I don't want any of those. Everything <laughs> is just too big. It's, it's all too, too big. big. Oh, my goodness. Um, the state's subtropical climate is... Mm-hmm. And it's many seaports and airports bountiful farms and oddball culture heavy on theme parks and many tiger king style attractions combined to produce a welcome habitat for fugitive species p.s do you know or have you seen the tiger king documentary i have not but i know about it yeah it's about the life of the dude joe exotic who is completely obsessed with tigers and dick I recommend. Oh, is that what? It, okay, I, I, like, I just know some. Yeah, somebody is obsessed with Tiger, and then he got killed. But the lady who pretty much, yep, everybody knows, did it. She's still. She the was never story is so and, ridiculous. It's worth. A, I mean, like, you haven't seen you probably stuff. It sound like some white people. Yeah, stuff. exactly. Like, mm. it, you probably feel like like I did before I saw it. Like, 
it's just a bunch of southern white trash and tigers like i don't this is not for me like i don't know why i would get into the story but the story is just so extreme that i just like glued i needed to know what was anyways but yeah it's a bunch mm-hmm. of white people and tigers and and they're all gay and it's it's weird it's just it, it's weird <laughs> highly recommend um <laughs> okay <laughs> Anyway, the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission, the FWC, is the agency tasked with coordinating the war on these invasive animals. The Florida Everglades is where the FWC deploys much of its staff and materials in the forms of trucks, boats, wildlife biologists. The Everglades are the battleground for which the stakes of victory are the highest. 2,400 square miles of sawgrass marshes, wet prairies, freshwater ponds, cypress swamps, and forested uplands provide drinking water to one in three Floridians and irrigation for every farm south of Florida. Also, since it's flat as a putting green, these wetlands can soak up billions of gallons of rain and storm surge, preventing flooding during the seasonal hurricanes. So without mm. the Florida Everglades and you know the hundreds of plant and animal species that keep it a viable ecosystem, South Florida's 8 million inhabitants would have to find somewhere else to live. So wow. there we go. Like... That's why that's it's why contained. Nothing, yeah. That's why it shouldn't be touched. But signs abound suggesting that the Everglades are in trouble. Uh, the number of Burmese pythons has grown, estimated 20-fold since 2005. And they eat everything. Uh, reef-annihilating linefish have overrun the state's coastlines. Uh, Florida's... I heard about that. Yeah, and you know the uh, reef is very important. Obviously, just like wildlife and, and and diversity, but also for you know protection of the coastline. You know, it's mm-hmm. just it's it's important. They're hard rock and not just sand on the bottom of the of the ocean floor, and that does affect you know um, rushing water and everything. So, mm-hmm. and those lionfish were they were brought. They yep. they're not origin they're not yeah they didn't originate there yep. yeah um I don't get into it but one of the main reasons for such diversity is obviously cocaine <laughs> and all like you know you're a, a a cocaine smuggler you got all this money and you get some random animal brought in because you like it and and then you don't know how to tame it, control it. It gets out into the wild. I mean, th- that's one of the main mm. reasons. And there's a lot of money in Florida. And so it's not just cocaine, but people with money in Florida um, mm-hmm. bringing over random uh, uh, animals. The FWC recently banned pet owners from possessing 16 species of non-native reptiles deemed to be a particularly high risk of slipping back into nature. And if invasives do escape in, into the wilds, wildlife officers hunt and exterminate some and the fwc uses various incentives incentives in hopes of that the floridians themselves will eliminate the majority for example the fwc pays a bounty for dead burmese pythons Hmm. Um, accredited hunters receive 50 bucks for pythons measuring up to four feet plus an additional 25 bucks for each additional foot 
and you get a special bonus if the catch is a pregnant female. Uh, mm. Seems weird to me, but hey, anything to help. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> it exempts feral hogs from the standard hunting rules, so you can they you can kill them, pursue them, you can shoot them on public land year round with no license, no size restrictions, and no bag limit. Um, they also the FWC also throws herbicides and they execute controlled burns to halt the spread of the river choking melaleuca plants melaleuca plants or melalusa plants those are native to australia mm. um the agency even promotes a cookbook uh getting back to the lionfish they promote a cookbook devoted entirely entirely to recipes for lionfish and because they're poisonous <laughs> so you have to eat them a certain way like they're highly poisonous so yeah you have right. to like yeah and with most you. things that are like that are poisonous and you're always like well how the hell but you know it's not like the whole of the lionfish is poisonous they have a poison sack so it's like yeah, if somebody know knows about eat, it yeah you have to like cut them up a certain way right um, it's, it's just like yeah. first, easy way to think about it is like the snake right like if you ate the body of the snake you're pretty gonna be fine if you eat the head of the snake without taking mm-hmm. out the venom like yeah you're yeah. gonna die <laughs> mm-hmm. um <clears throat> during the 80s and 90s when the exotic pet industry boomed, people thought pythons as babies, but they tossed them out into nature when they kept growing and growing and growing. <laughs> um, the largest python on record caught in Florida was almost 19 feet long. Um, and back in 2017, a 23-foot python swallowed an Indonesian farmer whole. So... The biggest one in Florida was 19 feet. A 23-foot python can eat a human. So it's pretty intense. And um, the longest python ever was 32 feet. Hmm. To put in perspective, typical giraffes only grow 15 to 20 feet. (laughs) Wow. Um, Yeah. Um, That's huge. How many pythons now haunt the Everglades. Who knows? But estimates go up to 300,000. And pythons have no natural enemies other than us. Um, (laughs) They spend most of the day camouflaged underwater and hunt at night when they can ambush and enfold their prey. They suffocate them by compressing their chest cavities and swallow them. Um, their effect on the Everglades has been cataclysmic. Burmese pythons are responsible for the effective disappearance of opossums, foxes, rabbits, bobcats, fox, I already said foxes, yeah, <laughs> raccoons, and they, birds, turtles, deer, and even alligators. Mm. Um, I saw a few videos of pythons eating alligators. Honestly, that was really much more thrilling than Godzilla versus Kong. I would watch, I would watch pythons eating alligators all day. <laughs> I can't. Um, so the FFWC uh, has tried increasingly desperate measures to call the snakes with python detecting dogs, infrared sensors, drones. One scientist even outfitted uh, captured pythons with radio beacons, let them go, and he hoped that these Judas snakes would 
head back to their lairs and they would like find out where they were and they'd be able to like you know betray the whereabouts of the others but they didn't because <laughs> so, they're like uh, solitary i don't understand that exactly. they're solitary yeah, they creatures they're not yeah it's not like they're hanging out together they they'll mate and then you know the yeah, female will just go off and, yeah. and have its life um in january 2020 in january 2020 governor piece of shit ron DeSantis <laughs> opened fwc's python bowl a contest where the person who killed the most snakes in a 10-day period would receive a five thousand dollars atv the event which attracted 750 people from 20 states produced a mere 85 dead reptiles wow mm-hmm. wow by the way this governor piece of shit ron DeSantis. Mm-hmm. uh so suppose you owned a bakery and instead of refusing to sell a gay couple a cake, you refuse to sell them a cake because they are potentially carrying a deadly virus into your shop. That could kill you. But this DeSantis dude, he says the state can force you to make that transaction anyway. He says objecting to homosexuality is legitimate. Legitimate. But objecting to potential transmission of a deadly virus is not. What? Ron DeSantis is threatening to block a cruise line from resuming service if it requires passengers to be vaccinated. The law DeSantis signed in Florida imposes a fine of 5000 per person required to show proof of vaccination. And the governor says he will not back down. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. It's almost as if the right of the individual conscious of freedom of contract was never the basis of the Republican position at all. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Anywho, back to the Everglades. Um, we've talked about snakes, rats, birds. But what's the number one most invasive species in the Everglades? Humans. Humans. And stars and everything. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> After a fatal flood in 1928, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers built a system of levees, pumps, levees, levees, pump stations, uh, dams, and locks. So for more than 70 years, the Everglades have been dredged and diked, polluted by phosphorus and mercury runoff from sugarcane and tomato fields, and by the millions of gallons of pesticides and herbicides. In a century, our imprint has winnowed the Everglades to half its original size. So there I am, oppressed, and it was double the size when it was on its own. Um, it's ironic that the word invasive is applied by the one species that has, has is the most invasive of all, spreading unchecked across the earth, claiming dominion over every plant, animal, bacteria, fungus virus and struggling to correct imbalances of its own making and in less than 30 years climate change will put much of the everglades under water and now a few quotes from our representatives in florida florida senator rick scott I'm not convinced that there's any man-made climate change Florida Senator Marco Rubio. 
attempting to reverse engineer the U.S. economy to absolve our past climate sins, either through a carbon tax or some Green New Deal scheme, it will fail. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. I'm not in the pews of the church of the global warming leftists, and I'm not a global warming person. I don't want that label on me. I apologize for making every conservative Republican sound like Leonardo DiCaprio and Django or like Blanche from The Golden Girls. Golden Girls. <laughs> Point is, um, it's not looking good for Florida. Uh, there is a glimmer of hope, though. Um, former Republican Governor Charlie Crist, who served from 2007 to 2011, he now represents St. Petersburg, Florida in the U.S. House of Representatives as a Democrat. So he was Republican. He swapped. Mm. Um, he announced he's running for governor again this year. So there'll be elections this year, and he's running against DeSantis. And and he said that DeSantis should be encouraging renewables such as wind and solar energy, and particularly solar energy. I mean, my goodness, we're the sunshine state. <laughs> <laughs> So I've talked plenty about invasive species. We'll get back to humans in a second. But let's talk Everglades and alligators. I mean, you can't discuss the Everglades without discussing alligators. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, alligators are a crucial part of the Everglades ecosystem and are considered a keystone species of the park. The nesting activity of female alligators is important for a variety of animals like Florida red-bellied turtles that incubate their eggs inside of both active and or abandoned alligator nests um Mm. water remains in those alligator holes throughout the year and as the dry season approaches the water dries up from other areas in the everglades but they're kind of retained in these alligator holes and they become a refuge for a variety of wildlife um although these animals can become an easy prey of for alligators and other predators but the value of the refuge outweighs that risk. And plus there's so many alligators, so many holes, so many, you know, there's chance for life. Mm -hmm. Um, How to avoid alligator attacks in the Everglades. Cancel that flight to Florida. Um, You can (laughs) avoid uh, going in the water at night. That seems fairly obvious. Mm -hmm. Uh, Alligators are nocturnal and prefer to hunt at night. Uh, alligators do not know or care about the difference between you, your pet, a child, wild source of food. So you should keep your pets and children away from the water to avoid alligator attacks. And in the event of getting accidentally bitten, poke them in the eyes. Jamming your fingers in an alligator's eye socket can get their jaw loose, so maybe you can get free. You should also fight for your life. And obviously that's self-explanatory, but Specifically Mm -hmm. because alligators are usually more likely to grab smaller prey that they can control and a great battle or if it gets hard, like they might give up the fight, you know, so go for the eyes and just don't stop fighting because they will drag you underwater and drown you. That is honestly like as scary as an alligator's bite is like. I saw an alligator, you know, it, there's been many of these videos, but an alligator grabbing like uh, 
not a lion, but like maybe a small lion or, 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 or just like a smaller cat, mm-hmm. a big cat, but not like as big as a lion. Anyway, um, and you mean the, the, the cat is just like clawing at it and everything, but all the alligator has to do <laughs> is drag it underwater. Yeah. That's it? Just, all that oof. power of the cat, all that muscle, all that whatever, all the claws and everything. Nothing. Not worth the thing. Mm-hmm. Just drowns. And that's it. It is such a great tactic. It's like the easiest thing yeah. to do. Yeah. Anyhow, um, hikers in the Everglades. And yes, there are white people who actually recreationally go to this place for fun. Hikers in the Everglades have come across corpses left by the alligators. Boaters have found several severed heads floating in the canals oh my goodness uh park rangers they've stumbled across decomposing cadavers but not all bodies found in the everglades are the fault of alligators or pythons and i now give you the story of the murder of bobby kent yes i'm doing a murder (laughs) (laughs) this is all built up to this people all built up it has literally been a built up to this i am so excited about a murder i i i'm i'm ashamed and not ashamed at the same time in 1993 when jurassic park came out in 1993 17 from broward county florida lured 20 year old bobby kent into the everglades and savagely killed him Oh my gosh. Uh, what could be the reasoning behind such a brutal murder? To them, it was the simplest solution to Bobby Kent and his bullying nature. <laughs> the culmination of events leading to this crime is somewhat complex. I mean, it's like teenage drama, and I'll get into it. Uh, the main takeaway is that Bobby, he was cruel. And a dominating figure that permeated all of their lives. Um, Bobby's best friend was Marty Puccio. And they have had been friends since the third grade. According to Marty, he would sometimes come home from Bobby's house with bruises, sometimes even bloodied. His parents took notice and urged him to stop seeing Bobby. Um, however, they passed it off as just rough housing that gets out of hand. But it was later revealed to be real physical abuse. Yet for some reason, Marty was unable to break his ties with his abusive friend. Love affair, perhaps? Hmm. Well, like I said, it's complicated. Advancing into their teenage years, the boys spent lots of time at the gym And later, the groups of friends testified that both boys used steroids and um, that Bobby's already aggressive personality worsened from the drugs. Marty and Bobby were also involved in gay prostitution that was rampant in Southern Southern Florida at the time and probably still is. Wait, so Uh, they were the ones, they were the prostitutes? Yeah, they themselves. Mm. Well... Um, it's speculated that Bobby pimped out Marty at the clubs. Uh, Bobby's the dominant one. Yeah, yeah, Marty yeah. is a submissive one. And that makes sense, you know, um, as far as like, uh, this relationship between them and why he couldn't leave. And, um, 
they did bring girls into the mix. Uh, Marty's girlfriend, Lisa Connolly, and her friend and short-time girlfriend of Bobby, Allie Willis. Uh, they, too, became all mixed up in the drama between the male friends as well. Uh, Bobby accused his girlfriend, Allie, and subjected her... Oh, sorry. Bobby abused his girlfriend, Allie, and subjected her to his impulsive and bizarre sexual behaviors. Hmm. Lisa did not appreciate how Bobby treated her boyfriend, Marty, and also Lisa was pregnant with Marty's child. And Marty, unable to sever the relationship with his longtime friend, Lisa began planning a way to eradicate Bobby from their lives. So, Lisa, Marty, Allie, and three other friends, Donald Semenik, Derek Dizverko, and Heather Swallers, began planning Bobby Kent's demise while at a Fort Lauderdale pizza hut. Uh, Lisa also contacted a self-proclaimed hitman by the name of Derek Kaufman. So now we got two Derek's and as you all know, Derek's suck. <laughs> uh, <laughs> on the night of July 14th, 1993, the group of seven asked Bobby Kent to accompany them to a scheduled canal near Western Weston, Florida. Allie and Heather distracted Bobby as Donald Semenik came up behind him and plunged a knife into his neck. A stunned Bobby Kent pleaded with Marty to help him, and that's when Marty responded by stabbing him in the stomach and then slitting his throat. Derek the hitman uh, dealt the final blow by beating Kent's head in with a baseball bat. Derek suck. <laughs> uh, the teens then rolled Bobby's body into the marsh, believing that alligators would eat the rest. That actually makes sense. But a few days later, guilt-ridden Derek Disverko contacted the Broward County Sheriff's Office and took them to Kent's body. And like, good for him but like what an idiot like they would have never found that body <laughs> and if they had like the evidence wouldn't have been lost because we're talking about the 90s so dna evidence wasn't that strong so but hey mm-hmm. um they were caught tried and all involved in the murder served time for their crime for varying degrees None of them displayed remorse at the trial, which was curious, as three of the killers had never met Bobby Kent prior to that night. So, I mean, the guy must have been a notorious asshole, like, not condoning, but damn, he was probably, like, not a sweet boy. But even then... Right. Uh, I ain't -hmm. killing nobody and then going to jail, just even, like, even if they're, I know they're notorious, like, what? What? Okay. (laughs) I mean, all right. That's... Uh, and, and there's a movie about this. I'm going to get into it right now. But um, in the movie, like, they're basically like, hey, hey, you want to go kill somebody? Okay. Like, yeah. <sighs> like, what? <laughs> um, so this case was outlined what in the you, best. What are you, I'm sorry. What are you doing with your life that somebody could just come be like, I'm kind of, I want to kill this person. He's like a bully to me and blah, blah. Like, are you doing anything Friday night? Yeah, no, I'm free. Let's go. <laughs> like, again, like uh, the what? the movie about this and, and the, the book. So there was a, there was a, this case was outlined in uh, a book, the 1998 book called 
Bully, a true story of high school revenge. And then it became a film in 2001 called Bully, directed by controversial director Larry Clark. Um, I'll get into Larry Clark in a second. But yeah, so like in the movie, they depict all these people as they, they, they dropped out of school. They don't have jobs. Mm. They just hang out at each other's like parents' house, and the parents like hate them just being hanging out. And all they do is drugs and sex. Like it's kind of like a they're just meandering and wasting their lives, mm-hmm. and and this kind of that depressive feeling. And it it really makes not to me, but I mean it makes sense of why this went there because they're they're just they're just not normal kids. This is well, I guess they're. I want to say not normal. I'm saying that you're like, not normal if you're they were just problematic kids, ha- and the fact that they had parents that weren't there, or they had parents who were overprotective, or and you know, I don't know. Um, there was just problems, mm-hmm. and um, now I had seen the movie Bully a while ago, um, and a few other queer movies by that director Larry Clark. And so he's famous for the movies Kids. That's a movie about a group of teenage boys and girls that in a day they go traveling all over Manhattan on skateboards, subway trains. They have sex, drink, drugs, talk, party, and they do it all over again the next day. That movie uh, has the beautiful Rosario Dawson, who I definitely cross the street for (laughs) Mm -hmm. um ken park uh which again revolves around abusive and dysfunctional lives of several teenagers set in the city of visalia california and that includes a scene of autoerotic asphyxiation and ejaculation the smell of us where he the Larry Clark accompanies a group of six young Parisians and documents them as they live their lives, including their relationships, families, sex, drugs, and prostitution. And he's also known for the book Tulsa, which is a collection of black and white photographs of the life of young people in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So this guy he's basically loves young, young people. people. Yeah, like really weird. Not, not, I mean, they're all teens. I know that doesn't make it better, but I mean, I'm saying that he's very specific, like 15, 16, 17, 18, those age groups right there. That's what he depicts in all of these movies. And he shows. But he also, it's not just, it sounds like it's not just teens, but he wants to document teens having sex, doing drugs. Right. Like, I don't prostitution. Know, party and drinking. Yeah, prostitution. This isn't like, oh, I want to I I want to document a teen he just won, I don't know, a high school oh, award yeah. or something or the most yeah. negative aspects anyway. And and yeah. you know, if he wasn't so pedophile you could mm-hmm. say that he's trying to bring out the muck into There's another movie, um not another movie. There's a movie, uh I forget what it's called. It was made by oh God. I don't even know his name, but anyways, it just it was about skateboarders. I forget what it's called. It was recent, and um, you know, 
it covers like the hardships of youth in California and how they were troubled with, but it, it's not like, it's not the same. It's not like sexualized in the same way. It, like it's really a movie trying to show you these hardships mm-hmm. and y- you could argue that this is what he's doing, but it's so much, it's so laced with sex and, and prim- just, 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 showing the the uh, youthful body that you know you're like um basically you're just really really horny for this and this is what you like and you've gotten away with it uh because i think kids was his first movie and it was so good Mm -hmm. and if he had just made that movie and then he moved on from it then you would have yeah that'd be yeah but no it's like one thing right after the other and they're all and then the worst one is the smell of us where he's just these are the the six young Parisians, mm-hmm. the people from Paris. Like they're not actors; they're just pro- well, they are sex workers, young sex workers in 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 France. And like he just follows them with a camera. Like that's weird. Like yeah. that's I don't. Anyway, um, while the critics gave the bully film mixed reviews, the late Roger Ebert said it was one of the films. He was one of the film's staunch proponents. He wrote, quote, Bully calls the bluff of movies that pretend to be about murder, but are really about entertainment. This film has all the sadness and shabbiness, all the mess and cruelty and thoughtlessness and stupidity of the real thing. And, you know, I tried to like rewatch it last night and I just, it's not that I couldn't get through it because of, I'm, I just felt a little boring. You know, I just didn't, Mm-hmm. think it was as good as I remembered it. Um, anyhow, today many of the individuals behind the murder of Bobby Kent are now free, including Lisa Connolly, who now lives in Pennsylvania, has two children. Marty Puccio, however, he's serving a life sentence and is now involved in ministry. Hmm. Though I'm willing to w- bet he wait, wishes... Wait, how was he... In- oh, like he's ministry in jail? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know... Oh, okay, like, yeah, gotcha, yeah. gotcha, J- yeah, yeah. Jail ministry, but I'm willing to bet he's he he wish he had killed Derek the Snitch too. Like this, this is a whole of a mess. But um, I watched this movie way back because it had Brad Renfro, and I was kind of like into Brad Renfro uh, in the '90s, and this is the only reason why I ever saw that movie. Um, and then, like I like I said, like I kind of rewatched it last night, and I was like. Why was I into Brad Renfro? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, yeah like, I'm not into this at all. I know, there's like, so many. I mean, not because of the age. It's just like, it's yeah, not, no, no, no. There's like, like I used to think Michael Jordan was hot. <laughs> like, nah, nah. I could, I could see a young Michael Jordan. I don't know. Even a young Michael I, Jordan. I'm like side eyeing my younger self. Like, you would just, you I'm, hadn't I'm seen a whole lot of guys yet. <laughs> I'm picturing young Michael Jordan. He's not I'm ugly. He's not ugly. I'm just saying. No, he's 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 cute. He's he. Am I am I gonna like you know freaking move move mountains to get to him? No. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And just to end on a positive note, <laughs> Florida is the theme park capital of the world. All of the titans of family entertainment are there. Disney, Universal, SeaWorld, Legoland, Bush Gardens, and Orlando attracts more visitors than any other amusement park destination in the United States. 
Seven of the 10 most visited theme parks in the world are in Florida. Walt Disney World Resort, which opened in 1971, is the planet's most visited and biggest recreational resort. Hmm. And I've been to Disney World. Yeah, I've been to yes, Disney World. Yes, it is magical. And it is. I tell everybody that. Yep. Would go again. Not right now. Would mm-hmm. go again. And I'll definitely go back if Charlie Crist gets elected the governor. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll go because he'll... <laughs> he'll He's not going to be about like weirdness and um, mm-hmm. pro helping Florida get past. Um, well, there's no getting past climate change. There's just dealing with climate change. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and yes, that is the story of the murder of Bobby Kent. Man, that's. That's 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 like I was going to say, like, yes, it's sad, but. It's also just like icky. It is like it feels it. It just feel, it's like because it's not a it's not quote unquote typical murder where mm-hmm. the m- murdered is like you're totally fe- you're like oh no like you're yeah. totally on their side and like mm, well yeah this guy was totally an asshole he didn't and, and and for various reasons and it's not his fault he needed therapy he needed you know whatever um, but he wasn't a good guy. Mm-hmm. And um, it's also funny that the real life Bobby Kent, he, like he was like big and muscular because steroids, right? They said they were taking, they were lift weightlifting, taking steroids. But the actors, and this is the fault of Larry Kent. So he he likes them young and thin mm. and white, mm-hmm. um, young thing and white. So Bobby Kent. He was young and white, but he was not thin. He was very muscular. Like, he's a freaking beefy neck. I saw a photo. And mm-hmm. the actor they chose, like, he chose for the movie is, like, the opposite end of the <laughs> spectrum from this. Mm-hmm. Like, not even close. They should have gotten The Rock to play Bobby Kent. And they got, like, this little... I've seen the actor in other things. And I'm like, this guy? This I am the not actress. afraid of that actor in the slightest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, so the takeaway is, um, <laughs> yeah, the takeaway, yeah, time after time, we have visited climate change hmm. and we need to be lopping off heads at the top so that we can move forward with this. <laughs> <laughs> Just chop them off, hack. <laughs> um, um, yeah, we got to take we got to take care of this world, this planet that we're living on. Um, Cause mm-hmm. yeah, this is the only one we got. I know they're trying to do something on Mars, but if you can't Mars fix ain't this Earth. one exactly, then what hope do you have for another world? Well, not only that, I'm just saying the fact that like. They're trying to make Mars habitable, whereas, like, we have the perfect ecosystem and everything here. We're destroying it. And it's like, we're I spending, would say yeah, we're easier to fix a planet that already runs and functions exactly. than to create an entire planet's atmosphere from mm-hmm. scratch. Well, it has. We're spending all the money like, to do that when you could just be spending it on, like, fixing the. And it, all it is have. is like. 
do they imagine they would go to Mars and start drilling for oil in Mars? Is that what they imagine the future of Mars is? Like, if you can't get off of oil today on Earth and expect there to be old dinosaurs oil out in Mars, then yeah. you're freaking ridiculous. Like, that's the only reason why we can't advance is because we can't get over the drilling of, you know, whatever and go to something more advanced. Like, mm-hmm. something, you know, whatever it can't that hasn't been invented or just simply solar and we're not there here we're not going to be there there exactly <laughs> i can't so yeah um fight for which love especially what's right <laughs> i was just thinking I'm th- we have like literally like three slogans okay it's fight for what you love but what it is fight for what you love, but more importantly, what's right. I just, I just love check you your like, humanity. You're like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot, y'all. Just get yourself together. Wash your legs. <laughs> Wash your goddamn legs <laughs> with the scrub. You need a washcloth, not with just, just your hands. Just okay, <laughs> scrub. Get you a sponge. Get something. I don't care if you use your hairbrush. Okay, you just need to. You need something that's gonna just yeah shake that skin up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, bye skin y'all. <laughs> See you the next time. <laughs> exactly. Bye. Until next time. We'll see you when we see you.